We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. What we are very proud of now is that we penetrate the cabinets. Seriously, I'm, I'm making a serious point. I don't know what half of them are protesting against. We've still got Fauci walking around free. The man should be in irons in the darkest pit. As much as he touts that he cares about it, he doesn't. This is our revolution. It's not theirs. Don't let them take it from you. Don't let them convince you that it's their revolution when in fact it's not. It's ours. And we will have it. It is Friday, the 25th day of March, the year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Johnny Anderson alongside Bruce Adams and the fan favorite, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? It's good to see you. I'm jolly well, thank you. It reached a staggering 17 degrees here today in the sunny south of England. It was still pretty cold this morning. Other than that, it's turned out to be a rather nice day. Well, I'll shock you by saying that it was warmer in Antarctica a couple of days ago. Bruce, how are you today? Um, I'm healthy and alive. Um, I'm, I'm curious, were those um, are those freedom units or are those in Celsius? No, uh, Celsius. They are in Celsius, of course. Okay, yeah. Well, this is the joke of it. I'm older than the pair of you, possibly even put together, but I was never taught the imperial system at school. But we got Mine it from you. Was the, I know, but I was only ever taught metric. And, and the Celsius range for, for temperature, which was really, really quite annoying because in my O-level, so I'm dating myself there because now they're GCSEs, in my O-level mathematics, there were loads of questions like how many pints in a gallon and um, how many feet in a mile and things like that, which I had no clue about. Thankfully, I took a stab at the at the volume ones, thinking that there were five pints to a gallon, but clearly I was wrong. There are indeed eight. I know that now, but I didn't know it then. But because I put my workings down, I still got some of the marks for the question. So mm. just remember that, boys and girls. Always do write your working out on your exam sheet. Yeah, I was always told in school I had to show my work or it didn't count, and I lost points for it if I didn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter anymore, though, because you can say two plus two equals five and still get it right because yeah, you're still correct. that's your reality. Because, yeah. yeah, because that particular two plus two identifies as five. That's correct. That is correct. How did you yeah. know that? How did you know? Are you a school teacher on the side? Is that is that what it is? <laughs> I know um, you no. know some school no, teachers, no, no, no. but uh, are you substitute teaching in your uh, your spare time? I've done some tough jobs in my life, but there's one job I would never do. Yeah, teaching other well, people's kids. Are you are you kidding me? No, oh, no I, way. I certainly those would people, not do it. those people deserve all the time off and all the extra pay that they could possibly have. So this week, I don't have anything planned because really it's been a a, a slow news day the last couple of days. Uh, we were talking so much boring stuff yesterday. We actually spent a good percentage of time talking about Putin's yacht off the coast of Italy. But I really don't want to uh, bore people with, with that kind of stuff. There was something I wanted to run by you, Marty. Since you're here, and I'll ask you, because this literally just crossed my mind, did you happen to see the airplane crash in China just a couple of days ago? Did you happen to see that? I didn't. I haven't seen any footage of it, but I have you know, I heard about it on the news. Okay. Um, um, let me see if I can dig up some footage here. And I want you to see the way that this plane comes down. I have never seen, and I know you're familiar with this kind of stuff. I have never seen anything like this ever. 
I've never seen a plane come down like this, apart from it being uh, shot down. Take a look at this and, and tell me what you think just by seeing this. This is a, was this a 737, Bruce? Or a se, se, 737? Uh, seven, 737, 800. 737, 800. Clearly that's it. Straight down. Yeah, that's that's just fallen out of the sky like a stone, hasn't it? It has. It has. I, I've never seen anything like that. The only thing I could think, and I was asking this uh, yesterday to Bruce. You see Bruce right there? Did you see Did you see that? Watch this. Looks to me like there's a puff of smoke that comes out of it right there. Yeah, but, the, the problem is, is I don't know if that's... An yeah, actual it could be, puff of smoke. Or yeah, it could be something from the, the video. Crappy quality. Yeah, yeah, it could yeah. be the, the awful quality of the video. But the only thing I was that I was uh, thinking of, and clearly you can see on there that the tail is still intact. But what about the two flaps that are either side of the tail, the tail fin on the plane? What if you lost uh, one or both of those? Would it cause a plane to do that? The thing that they would be looking for in the case of both engines. I think it's a twin-engined aircraft, not a four-engined aircraft. Yeah. In catastrophic failure of both engines, the wingspan alone would allow it to glide for quite some distance, and I wouldn't expect it to come from the altitude shown there for the crash. The pilots are trained to get the aircraft as, as low as possible in a glide, and during that time, they, they would also be constantly trying to restart both engines. If the tailplane, um, I believe, oh, I'm, I'm losing my terminology here, but if the rear ailerons were not there, then the plane being fairly nose heavy would just dip down. So, yeah, if if they were somehow ripped off, blown off, then it could cause a crash like that. Uh, some of the information that um, you can't see from the video, that dive started at 29,000 feet. It was flying at 29,000 feet and then went to a straight nose dive, almost vertical. It was about 80 some degrees. Yeah. That's and a, then it, it, it did that for, I don't know, till about, uh, I'm going to say it's about uh, five or 6,000 feet. It, it leveled out and then went back down into a dive. And uh, they, they don't know. They think the pilots, all three of them passed out in that initial dive, which would have made sense. The, the, you, you probably would have at that point, the, as many G's as you, the entirety of the plane probably passed out in that, honestly, but they don't know what happened. So if the aircraft had no power at all, obviously there's not a physical link between the cockpit and it still wouldn't have the done moving a parts. like that. No, no. I was, but, was going to say you can fly at dead stick with the Boeing's. You can fly in dead stick a little bit, can you not? So I, that's what I was saying the other day uh, on podcast is the way those are designed. The center of gravity and the center of lift are slightly askew, and the the tail section, the I don't know elevator, whatever the hell the the tail section part is called for the side wings. It, it, it's at a slight angle so that if the nose dips down, the tail section will push it back up to level it out. If the yeah. nose goes too high, it'll push it down and it'll level itself out. So in, in a power loss scenario, it should continue gliding and stay fairly level the entire time. Really not there. So the fact that it leveled out at 5,000 feet, I think, you know, dropping 24,000 feet, it would have, if they'd have been operating the way you, you've just described, Bruce, it would it would have leveled out a bit sooner than that, wouldn't it? It should have, yeah. Because yeah. they, they were at like four or five hundred miles an hour or something like that. It it got I mean, it was pretty quick at 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 some point. So Yeah. 
No, that, that is that is very unusual, highly suspect, and um, I've got no real explanation as to why it would do that, other than it looks like someone's steering it into the ground. Yeah, as well. The only reason I wanted to run it by you is because someone that's familiar with uh, with avionics, as as you are, I thought you would be fascinated by something like that. I've never seen anything like that out of a passenger liner. I've never seen anything like that. E- even a helicopter has a method of gliding. And as long as the main rotor is still rotating through the wind, even without power, prior to the the helicopter hitting the ground, the pilot, if he's conscious, flares the rotor and that causes sufficient lift to really decelerate the crash. And those pilots, if they were conscious, would have been doing everything in their power to decelerate the crash by bringing it to a level glide slowing down airspeed by using the um the brakes the the air brakes on on the wings on the main wings and none of that seems to have been happening Mm-mm. now the next question i would have and i don't know if we'll ever get an answer out of the chinese government i highly doubt it but 132 people on a 737 they're designed to carry more than that who was on the plane that would have been my next question. Yeah. Anyway, moving right along here. I, I like I said, I I don't really have uh, I don't really have anything planned. But uh, for the week, since you're only on, we only get you one day a week, Marty. What's been front and center for you this week? What's been on your mind? What's been troubling you the most? Which which direction you want to um, go? Well, the price hikes in fuel obviously has um, it demands a reaction from a government. Now, if your government is is truly your government, they would do something about it. <laughs> That was meaningful. Rishi Sunak has made a spring announcement, which isn't meant to be a full budget, but our puppet government are making cuts to fuel duty by five pence a litre, which came into immediate effect. Uh, There's supposed to be a massive hike national insurance payments, which I believe has been frozen now. And the threshold for paying tax has been increased but that doesn't come into effect till 2024 so with all the price rises the measures that the conservative government are saying you know this this is us really helping probably mean that everyone just stands still and because we all know with inflation rising uh, you know the cost of living rising standing still is no good to anyone because you just get further and further uh, away from being able to afford what you could before. So that's been on my mind a bit. It's just so typical of a puppet government, a, a government that is following somebody else's agenda rather than the agenda that would best benefit the country that it is supposed to be serving. That is true. Uh, Bruce, as a matter of fact, brought up yesterday that Macron, or, uh, well, who, who was it? The, the US, what are we doing? We're talking about doing something over there to, quote, ease inflation and rising fuel costs. They're going to they're gonna give uh, $100 to, to everybody who is doing what? Uh, I'm seeing $100 to $400 for anyone that owns a vehicle. Uh-huh. Okay. And Macron of France is talking about giving people uh, more food uh, f- food stamps, if you want to call them that, you know, the food coupons or whatever to offset inflation. So they're taking the wrong steps. Immediately, what should be happening right now, if you have a government across the board, whether it's the UK, any of the EU countries, Australia, New Zealand, the US, Canada, whatever, if you have a government that is truly for the interests of the people, then I think for the foreseeable future, until these morons can figure out what to do, all taxes should be suspended, all of them. 
all acro across the board, fuel, property, income, everything, absolutely everything, because that's going to be a direct injection of capital back into the hands of the consumer and of the, well, in this case, you wouldn't be a taxpayer, of the recipient that you can put back into the economy and you can jumpstart that economy. Or do you guys think I'm wrong? Uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't know enough about that way in which the finance systems work, but all of the public service or public sector workers are paid directly from uh, taxpayers. So, well, if they see you're you're making my case for me, this is a great opportunity to start cutting back the size of the government. Yeah, but it would also mean cutting back the size of the police force, the size of the ambulance service, the size uh -huh. of um, local councils uh -huh. that also provide services such as uh -huh. you know waste disposal, garbage collection, uh -huh. all those kind of things. Uh, um, nowadays, well, the most money of those, anyway, so they're, they're printing. Well, of course, money anyway. so it, does, it doesn't really matter, but, quite frankly. But that that's that's true. But the the thing is, at the moment, with all these countries that are paying tax, all these populations that are paying tax, the governments, the puppet governments, are still playing the World Bank's game because the moment they stop taking the money out of our bank accounts transferring it to the government's bank account and then immediately paying back the huge debt they've created, the national debt, then the World Bank would just call all that debt in at once, wouldn't it? It would, yes. And, um, and, and if it did that uh, and we refused to pay, um, we'd be the next target for uh, a United Nations force or a NATO force that would come in because we've gone rogue. Oh, the humanity of it. How dare you want to get your independence back, which I do believe you guys voted for, if I'm not mistaken. You did vote for that. But you know we what? You voted for independence from Europe, yes. Yes, you did. And and you haven't gotten it yet. And I'm quite disappointed to say the, to say the least on that. Uh, instead, you've got uh, Boris Johnson now playing the role of the mealy mouth cap in hand, as you put it so eloquently on the James O'Brien show many, many years ago. I wanted to play something for you that's has been a conspiracy theory for many, many years, but it's been brought out of the bag. And the only reason I wanted to play it is because you're here. We played it yesterday, but or actually it was the day before yesterday, but I'm going to play it for you because I think of all people, you would appreciate how vindicated you're now going to be. You know, we are at an inflection point, I believe, in the world economy, not just the world economy, in the world. It occurs every three or four generations. As one of as the uh, one of the top military people said to me in a secure meeting the other day, 60, 60 million people died between 1900 and 1946. And uh, since then, we established a liberal world order, and that hadn't happened in a long while. A lot of people died, but nowhere near the chaos. And now is a time when things are shifting. We're going to there's going to be a new world order out there, and we've got to lead it. We've got to unite the rest of the free world in doing it. So anyway, now wasn't that a conspiracy theory? And seeing as how you were just talking about the World Bank and the IMF and the UN and everything else, uh, that kind of bears a little fruit, doesn't it? It's it's the way this geriatric wet weekend goes from saying something as obvious and offensive as there will be a new world order and we've got to lead it to well anyway let's move on to the yeah, next moving topic. right along nothing to see here i mean just how oh no i i don't feel vindicated i just feel more angry but i believe it's now okay to talk about the hunter biden laptop which is now it is it's it's in the it's in the public domain now that 
his deals in Ukraine and that are all a matter of, of public discussion and it's no longer a conspiracy theory, it's fact. So the only way to beat these is to pick apart each of their deceptions and reveal them to the world. And slowly but surely, with an idiot like Joe Biden or Go Brandon or whatever his name is in charge, they're going to be revealed. But it's all that, as we've said before, it's the faces, it's the public faces of the New World Order, air quotes, that will be burnt one by one as they reveal the truth, whether by accident or by design. And uh, still, we won't really get to those deep state, dark, shadowy individuals that are pulling their strings. That's what I was saying the other day. I said that I, I'm not really interested in Klaus Schwab at the end of the day. I want the person that employs him. That's what I'm interested in. I, I really don't care what he does or what he says. I want the person that he's working for. That's who I'm interested in. I now have to ask the question because you, you brought up the, uh, the Hunter Biden laptop. I now have to ask the question, the media, right? The, the media, the discredited ratings in the toilet media who said that that was the entire time, who said that that was Russian disinformation or, or whatever. Hunter Biden himself, which I've got the clip here, Hunter Biden himself said that he didn't know what the, whether the laptop was his and it could have been uh, Russian intelligence or whatever. But why on earth do we now have to listen to a media at all when clearly you've got 16% of voters who voted for Biden, who said if they would have known about the laptop and the fact that it was a true story, if they would have known these things prior to the election, they would not have voted for him, which regardless of whether or not you believe there was voter fraud, that would have swung the election. What do we say to that? What do we say to a media that's now done that? Before you answer that, who pointed this out uh, very eloquently was Glenn Beck. Now, I know people have opinions about Glenn, but that's not in question here. I'm not I'm not debating that. I even have my own opinions about Glenn. But what he says here specifically about the Hunter Biden laptop and world affairs that we're now facing because of what the media has done, you have to hear this. We should also point out that there was a you know there was a significant story that broke a week before the election. I mean, I, this is when they took the story and they took the New York Post, our, the nation's oldest newspaper, off of Twitter. They weren't allowed to tweet about it. They weren't mm. allowed to promote the story. It was a week before the election. I think it was Media Research Center that did a poll uh, later on. Sixteen percent. Sixteen percent of Biden voters said they would reconsider their vote if. Uh, they knew about the Hunter Biden story at the time. So, I mean, that would be more mm. than enough to, to change the election results oh, if yeah. that were true. I mean, some of that might be second guessing or whatever, but still, this is uh, it was an it was a story that absolutely should have been out it there and would, was suppressed. Yes. And uh, it was, you know, all of them, misinformation, malinformation. It was all of it at the same time. They they demeaned the people who were telling the story. They and, wouldn't they hid the story from people. It was really bad. Then so let me ask you. When is America going to stand up and say to these institutions, shut the F up, shut up. You don't have a right to deem me a messenger of dismiss or malinformation. You don't have a right to do that because you get it wrong all the time on pretty big things. You you because you did that, we are now looking at possibly a global war a financial collapse and China buddying up uh, with uh, with Russia coming out against us. And we've got a president in office who's taking money from the Chinese. 
I mean, shut the hell up. Shut up. Shut the pie hole. You have no right to tell me. This is why freedom of speech is so important. Because uh, as our founders said, as our founders said, when they were going against um, the uh, uh, Sedition Act, they had this great debate on it. You should read the words of the founders as they debated back and forth. They were so against anybody uh, silencing speech that they said, even if they are knowingly lying in the press, we cannot suppress it. And they, they said the, the government, what we're going to have the government say the institution that the press is supposed to stand up against and check. We're going to let the government tell us, no, you can't question that or that's misinformation or malinformation. What happens when that story is right? This is their this. The, the, I mean, read the words. What happens if that story turns out to be right? So what right do we have to say that? Because it might be right. Yeah, the government should have no role whatsoever in that process. And, and if they do, they're out in front. Jen Psaki's out in front of the press corps every day saying that these these institutions should censor yes. people who give out the right. information they don't like. And through ESG, they're all in it. They're mm. all in with the government. When are we going to say, ah, I don't care what you say? I mean, they have lost so much. There is no credibility left with any of them, any of them. What say you, Marty Foster, of of that? Because he mentioned the uh, the failing dying establishment, the media, which is also failing and dying. And of course, they're all on board with uh, the media. They're all on board with the government labeling everybody misinformation, disinformation, uh, uh, pro pro Putin, pro Russian propaganda, whatever in the hell they're they're doing to label people, to silence them, and to shut them up. They're deplatforming people, and all of these same companies are on board with, as he said, the ESGs, which are the Environmental, Social, and Governance Goals, which come from the United Nations Agenda 2030 and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. The problem we have as awake, informed, and self-researched individuals is that we don't have our own platforms anymore. We've all got used to using digital means to, to communicate and putting things up in posts, and it, it might reach a temporarily broader audience, but it can so easily be clamped down on and censored and blocked. Back in the days of, um, of you know, real political upheaval, talking 18th century, early 19th century stuff, you had people called pamphleteers. Now, the pamphleteers would, would take their message out and get it around the people. It was usually anti-government, an anti-government message, uh, particularly at the times of piracy and, you know, privateers and, and how when they suddenly decided to have peace with Spain, all of these these British and Commonwealth privateers became outlawed. And there was mass pamphleting across the Commonwealth and, and the British Empire at the time. You can't stop a piece of paper being handed from one person to another at the flick of a switch, whereas you can stop someone's ability to post on Facebook, Twitter or wherever by the press of a few keys on a keyboard. You get throttled and so, on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course you do. Um, no, you do, as in like you personally. You, you oh, get throttled. Yeah, yeah, I know. You've been put I, in, I in Twitter and Facebook I've, prison as well. I have. I have, and I'm extremely proud of the fact. But that is the problem. And, of course, the lockdowns, when everyone should have been 
um, socialising, mixing with other people and passing comment and opinion and forming ideas um, in pubs, in bars, in restaurants, in theatres, in public libraries even, weren't able to. So the lockdown achieved one of its many goals, which was to throttle the flow of information and ideas and opinions. And and we're still suffering from that now. And I think that that 16% of voters who would have voted differently, I think that number would have been greater because people can't help themselves but be partisan. When they're asked the question about who they voted for, they are compelled to continue to support those hats that have now been proved to be completely fake, fraud and puppets. It's like today on Facebook, Boris Johnson had um, put something about Ukraine and I, I felt it necessary to, to comment back. And at the bottom I put, I am not of the left and I voted Tory at the last general election. So this isn't a partisan rant. This is the truth as I see it. But I, I'm not saying I'm better than anyone else. But I once I've found out that the party is corrupt, my support goes. Whereas for a lot of people, they continue to support whichever party they voted for. It's funny because all the arguments and all the uh, the talks that we have, you know, it's I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I can't help but think about, you know, I look back at the uh, and you heard you heard Beck mention the uh, the founders there. And I saw you making some uh, some gestures along the uh, the lines there of um, telling us we were number one. Those were Englishmen, I, I might add, if you if you'd forgotten that those were those were Englishmen that were our founders. Uh, but the bit you've chosen to forgotten is that George Washington was actually a disgraced low level British nobleman who yes, was, he was jealous yes, of, yes, of yes. the British aristocracy. Yes. And yes, yes. and a great deal of his motivation was just to become more important in the 13 colonies than he could have ever been in the United Kingdom. And he achieved it. So well done, George. When we sit around and we talk about these things, sometimes the best conversations that we have sometimes are usually the ones that are off recording uh, because they get pretty heated. But I can't help but think, and looking back to comparison, I can't help but think that these are the same kinds of political conversations that have been going on since the days of the founding of America. I can I can just hear the Englishman and see the Englishman I've seen in like historical reenactments and things of them arguing back and forth. Hell, they used to do it in letters back and forth to themselves. They used to argue like that. But the thing is, is that back then they were sitting there talking about the same things we're talking about now. And that is, you know, American, English, you know, we can sit here and we can have these we can have these agreements on these types of things. Though we may disagree on political issues, we all agree and we've all agreed from the start of this thing on this one thing. And that is political parties. We're tired of them. We need parliaments of independence that stand on ideas, not partisan politics, not party politics. All that does is it just it's an organized form of tribalism that blocks people up and divides people. That's all it does, in my humble opinion. Uh, and I, obviously, you know, I think you're right. It That's exactly what it does. It, it divides people. It doesn't allow only you know, at best it allows for 51% of the people to be properly represented as, as they would want to be because that's who they voted in. Whereas the big book you put me on to, Mr. Begins with Q. Quigley. Professor Quigley. Quigley. Mm -hmm. Professor Quigley, yes. In his book, 
and I've read a little bit more of it now, but it's a very big book. It demonstrates how societies grow, expand, and then decay. It's a constant cycle. It is a constant cycle of boom and bust. And it's like we're like the half life that period, like, you know, the half life of a of an isotope. That period of growth and decay is becoming shorter with each new type of civilization. It's it's getting uh, instead of being a thousand years or three or four hundred years, it's becoming sixty years and and getting smaller and smaller each time. Political parties also go in those kind of cycles. After a period of too much uh, of a swing to the right, the left goes, no, we've had enough of this, and the pendulum swings the other way, and everything that the right was building up gets torn down, and we start to build what the left wants again. And it's all such a waste of time. It's not going anywhere. It's like like driving around uh, in, in a circle, you're not going from A to B. You're just going round and round and round in a cycle. Now we've progressed to a point in technology where we could have an opinion machine on every street corner. In fact, we've got the facility in our own homes, and I've spoken about this before. Your governments should not be parties because that immediately opens up avenues to corruption and not enough of the people are being represented by their by their parliamentarians, by by their MPs. If you could have a list of policies that you wanted to devote yay or nay to, and you made it your duty every day to log on, and then you'd be given a, a, a list of things that were going to be debated that day, and how were you going to vote, and you place your vote, they could say what they like in the House of Parliament, but at the end of the day, it would be the people's vote that determined whether that policy got passed or not. Perhaps advocates of the policy would get up and speak um, in a proper open debate about why they want the policy put through and, and the reasoning. And then it would rely on people spending some time every day watching television, which, let's face it, an awful lot of people do. I know you don't, Johnny, but an awful lot of people do. Just so they could do their civil duty and listen to the debates so that they could make an informed decision when they log on to their laptop later on and make a vote. That's that's the way it should have gone. And that would almost stop this cycle of of growth, boom and decay. You know, the slip into decadence that these societies, these civilizations have done. It could almost stop it. It was an interesting thought there uh, I had as you were saying that. The whole reason that we have representatives is because our voices can't be heard. We didn't have the technological ability to have everyone vote on a certain topic or subject or or whatnot. So maybe that's a shift that would be somewhat beneficial to... But then you start getting into democracies and whatnot. Anyway, I'm kind of thinking thinking out loud here. But basically, the idea was is having everyone be able to log in, as you're saying, and do their civil duties and vote on different um, policies or ideas or what have you. You would have a more direct democracy in that sense. But it doesn't really jive well with the American system. The American system is a republic not a democracy. So you're not able to vote on, there would, there would have to be a lot of things in place to guide what direction votes could go because you can't have, for example, as much as everybody wants uh, universal health care here in the United States, unfortunately, the federal government does not have that power and authority. It's the states. 
So you could not propose a bill federally that says, uh, you know, uh, universal health care. You would have to go to the state level and do it that way. So there would have to be a mechanism in place uh, to, to, to facilitate that. But all of that said, in the end, does it really matter? Because uh, when you start going into a digital world like that, uh, it makes it a lot easier to change votes and to, to manipulate data. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the issue that, that we have. But our conversation offline before we started was about Bitcoin, was it not? Where you've got the blockchain and it's something you you guys have taught me tonight where several hundred different computers have to actively confirm that you are who you say you are in order to make a transaction. Something along those lines with that level of multifaceted security would have to come into play. The other downside is that you would have to have a digital identity. And of course, we know that all of these things can be subverted. Ned and I, fortunately, were talking over the internet, so we didn't come to blows. But we, we had a disagreement about some of the things that you know I'd heard him say on the podcast about, oh, the world needs to get together. It's got to be a global thing. And that immediately put my hackles up. And then he asked me what I'd do if someone like Bill Gates came and offered me $5 million to, to keep my mouth shut and to, just to go back into the corner and not say anything. And I said, I'd take the money, then I'd spend it, then I'd rat the bastard out. But he said, you'd still take the money. I went, yeah, yeah, I would. Cause, uh, but anyway, we've had that argument about these things and and I've, I've seen some of his side of it and he's seen some of my side of it. But at the end of the day, the idea of having to have a digital identity to vote in a national election or some on a policy, on a white paper, on a bill, I think I would gladly have that if I knew it could be secure. And going back to your point, Bruce, it can be all of these things, even if every person in the world who isn't part of the the conspiracy got together, the conspirators would find a way find a way to make that unity subverted to their own cause so everyone getting together sounds great but it it wouldn't necessarily be the best thing in the world with your situation in the states where you've got separate states which let's face it are the size of countries anyway then that's within the confines that they should that the people who live there should be voted in on on a state level and and you would need probably a separate system for voting at federal level. But what interests me more is the fact that, you know, you identify as a republic. Now, a republic has a single head of state and, and is not a democracy. And although I'm not here to score points, but I just find it amusing because I just mentioned that George Washington was a disaffected minor noble from the UK and he created basically another non-democratic system in which to be a big cheese in, in fact, your first president. But of course, it was only for two four-year terms. Was that an original element of the Constitution? or no. Or was it, what was the original terms for being there in office? There wasn't any. There wasn't any. We Originally, there was none. They wanted him to continue being president, and he was like, no, I'm, I'm stepping down. Yeah, I'm, I'm rich enough now. 
Um, he, he actually, was destitute. Actually, they were, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the the, the founders. I know we we kind of you know we joke about it. You know the whole U.S. English thing, but uh, a lot of the founders, a lot of them died in poverty. They they had nothing. They spent everything they had on being free uh, and trying to maintain uh, the republic as it was. So. Yeah, there was there was none of that uh, living in luxury or anything like that. They uh, they basically died living in poverty. Yeah, and I, I imagine that after however many years George Washington served for, that he was fed up with the work. It it, it it's a big job, you know. It's the biggest job in the world. Uh, yeah. Well, it is today anyway. But yeah, yeah. So I I still have this um, dream of everybody having access to you know who who have the franchise who are old enough to vote to a a home voting system so that we no longer have to rely on corruptible individuals to decide what happens in our own countries or or our own states there there was something you said there about uh security and and those kind of things and whether the the ID and whether they could use it against us and whatnot there was an interview and I was trying to find it but I don't remember who was giving the interview unfortunately um some dude was talking I, it was somebody in the the uh fed level I don't know if it was the banking side or if he was government. I don't remember. But they were doing ex- uh, exploratory stuff on doing a digital currency, a, a cryptocurrency for, for the U.S. Uh, dollar transitioning. And uh, someone asked the question, would this ever be used to control the populace? You know, would, would you use this to enact control or wrongfully investigate people or wrongfully stop the currency, freeze it? And his answer was shall we say, less than satisfactory. His answer was basically, uh, it was not yes or no. Well, it was a very clear yes. He said, um, I can't guarantee that as many things in life or something to that effect. Basically, he said, um, with terrorists and, uh, you know, domestic terrorists and all uh, uh, criminals and all of them, we we have to be able to uh, go after these individuals and so on and so forth. And basically said, um, they fully intend to use the digital currency to control people. And what was concerning about it is he said domestic terrorists. They called, they being the DOJ, called parents that were disputing some of the schooling uh, practices at their um, school board meetings. Uh, they were calling them domestic terrorists. And as such, they would have had their finances frozen. That is disgraceful, isn't it? And of course, that's what Trudeau is doing with the truckers. Oh, he's got um, his teeth kicked in by the uh, the European Parliament members. He's uh, he's sitting in Brussels uh, the last couple of days here because of the whole NATO meetups and all that stuff. And yeah. some some of the MEPs in there are calling him out right to his face, saying, "You're a disgrace. You, you ought to be ashamed of yourself." It, it, it'll be water off a duck's back. He has got such an inflated opinion of of his own worth and and intelligence that. He will just ignore what they have to say because he's he's a one hundred percent indoctrinated, brainwashed child of the new world order, and it, it will make no difference to him. What would be good is if that roasting of him was put over on the you know mainstream media. Quite often, we used to see Nigel Farage stand up and tear the EU Commission a new one every time he spoke, but we won't see any of that on our media at least i'm, I'm gonna go and have a look for it now, now you've said because yeah. I, I would rather enjoy that but um yeah 
you mentioned there about let's sh- let's shift here a little bit because uh, let's get into another subject. You mentioned there earlier about Boris making some kind of a post about Ukraine. Do you know? Yeah, you know it was at the it was at it was at the um, the NATO summit. The UK has pledged. Now this is this is being reported by Russian state media again. I mean, it's, it's difficult to get information out of there, but some things are still getting through through second and third hand information. Uh, the UK has pledged high explosive weapons and 32.9 million in military aid to Kiev while Britons are protesting and uh, lament record inflation. Uh, your guys' inflation hit a 10-year high as of yesterday. Yep. And so Ukraine will be bolstered, excuse me, will be boosted by 6,000 British anti-tank missiles and 32.9 million in further military aid, while the BBC, Ukrainian and Russian language services will receive an additional 4.5 million in funding to counter, quote, disinformation about the war in Ukraine. Westminster's continued spending in Ukraine comes despite thousands protesting the spiraling cost of living and a new budget that poor households claim to do little or nothing to help. Yeah, I mentioned that first, didn't I? This, this budget you, you wasn't did. wasn't supposed to be a budget. It was supposed to be a spring statement in preparation for the budget in the later half of the year. It's just like the Obviously, Biden administration. They were doing a budget well, in yeah. the U.S. for like a was it what was it, Bruce? It was like a, a one and a half trillion, and miraculously, eight hundred and something billion is going to Ukraine, plus yeah. another uh, hundred million in small arms. It's it's just a way of moving money around, isn't it? It's, well, it's I, just I understand, but of- hey, let, let's. How about we do this? How, how about we do this? I have a better idea. Uh, how about we do this? How about we stop the spending overseas for both of our countries? How about we stop the spending overseas and let's take all those small arms that you're going to truck into another country? Let's dole them out to our people. How about that? You got any objections to that? Anybody have any objections to that? Me, no, 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 no whatsoever. No, no. <laughs> all those small arms should be going to us. For a potential invasion of uh, of another nation, don't you think? That's common sense, to my, in my opinion. Yeah, the joke of it is that, that it amounts it amounts to nothing unless you've got trained people on the other end of those weapons to fight ag- against Russia. They are putting as many people on the TV as possible that are ex-British servicemen that have gone over and joined the Ukrainian Foreign Legion. That you know, they're, they're giving that plenty of air time. Did you see the um, one on Good Morning Britain earlier this week? I uh, can't say I did. Not they, necessarily. They but. aired a photo of these three former British servicemen that oh, went yeah. over. About an hour later, one of the guys that was that, and they said that the 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 three guys that were in the photo were killed. Yeah. Yeah, And one of the guys in the photo tweeted about an hour later, he says, just so you're aware, I'm not in Ukraine and I'm certainly not dead. So don't believe any of this. But just this evening on this evening's news, uh, a guy from my part of the world, uh, from Sussex, uh, ex-soldier, and he says, um, he was asked, why are you there? He says, well, I'm not the kind of guy that can see genocide um, happening on my TV screens and and just sit by. So I'm not criticising. I am criticising what they've done, but I'm not really criticising their emotions because they're having their emotions played and making them make these kind of decisions. But at the end of that news piece, almost like a legal disclaimer, it says that we, we have to inform you that you may face prosecution if and when you come back. For, from fighting in another country. And how could they not say that? Because look at all the people that went to fight for ISIS from Europe, from the UK, 
and what's happened to them on their return. They've either been arrested or they haven't been allowed to return or they've been uh, basically had their their nationalities taken away from them. They've been their citizenship has been revoked. So you've got all this happening and those are some of the trained people that could, you know, effectively deploy these weapons. But it takes months to properly train a soldier. It takes a good couple of weeks to get someone used to a particular weapon system. And none of that is really happening. It's a sham. It's fake. And Sunak's spring statement that has turned into a budget is a simple knee-jerk reaction to our puppet government feeling the groundswell of opinion starting to turn against them and them trying to placate whilst actually not making any difference at all to the overall plan, which is to break our economy, impoverish the people, make them reliant on government for everything, uh, and eventually get rid of us all in the easiest way they possibly can. Because we are superfluous now. All the people that are going to make things in the future, do all the manufacturing, are in South America, Africa and Asia. Europe is no longer needed because we are too expensive to the cabal. We we cost too much to to produce what they want to have produced. And, you know, and we're Dowd, also their biggest consumers. That is true. Edward Dowd had said that uh now it was just his uh it was just his opinion he was laying out there, but he said that uh the only reason that he could kind of uh come up it, he was just speculating. The only reason he could come up with the uh as an excuse as to why these governments and pharma companies and everything are behaving the way they're behaving as far as like the COVID agenda, he says, the only thing I can think of is that it is more profitable to get rid of people than it is to actually keep them around. Well, sure, because everyone who's been working in, in the West has been paying into some form of pension. And Those are our gone. government recently... Yeah, you our called, government you called it almost made, three years ago. With the banks are empty. They are yep. indeed empty. But so are the hedge funds. Yeah. So so are the, you know, there are no annuities there. So the more people uh, of retirement age that die young and never get to draw on those pensions, uh, the better it is for the World Bank. Indeed, sir. Well, we're talking about supplies being sent over to Ukraine. You've got to have a way to get them there, Right. I mean, that common sense would tell you that, right? You you have to, of course, come up with the supplies, and then you have to have a way to get them there. Well, I saw an individual, I just a, a a saint, really, because you know somebody that's that's going to be delivering these things in a, in a charitable manner, a, a saint. I saw a gentleman by the name of David Cameron. He decided he was going to hop into a a delivery van, and he was going to drive from England all the way over to Poland and go to the border and deliver donated supplies in the uh, the conflict area. Mr. Cameron is driving a small lorry full of supplies for Ukrainian refugees to the country's border with Poland. He tweeted the announcement about his trip on Friday afternoon. He's volunteered for two years at the Chippy Larder, a food project in West Oxfordshire. He said donations had been taken in for refugees from Ukraine, and the project now had enough to fill a small lorry with everything from nappies to sanitary products, warm clothes to first aid kits. Well, what a, an amazing piece of self-publication! Um, doesn't that, doesn't that look like a, just a just a photo op from hell? Doesn't it? <laughs> Where's his face? Exactly mask? what it is. Where's his face? Mask? He's a uh, he's a multimillionaire, and quite frankly, he would have been better off finding some poor unfortunate and saying, "I tell you what, mate, 
Here's £150,000. Drive this van to the Polish border and back for me, if you wouldn't mind. That would have been a much better gesture. For 150 grand? For £150,000? I'd drive it. I'd drive it. You better believe it. Me too. There's no war in Europe, is there? There's no war in Poland. There aren't any stray Russian Russian artillery shells falling on Polish land. Nope. So there's no danger in what he does, but all there is is publicity. It's 100% publicity. And I imagine uh, that place where he's volunteering, he just gets in the way. That, I mean, obviously, I've, I've got no proof of that. What is, so what is it's, it? What, no, it's, it's just it's my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. What is it about these these prime ministers and and people like uh, your health minister Sajid Javid? What what is it about these people? Like Boris Johnson, I said a while back. I said Boris Johnson is nothing more than a con man with costumes. Every time you see this guy on TV, he's wearing like uh, one of those high visibility vests, working in a warehouse. He was wearing uh, uh, like the um, the refrigerator proof uh, outfits that they wear in like the warehouses and he was carrying like crates of juice around and loading up trucks and everything he was a warehouse worker another time he was uh, he was working a checkout counter he was volunteering to to wipe chairs down at a vaccination clinic and he he does photo ops with uh, uh with full ppe holding up a vial uh, up to the light with a uh, uh, with with goggles on, like he's some uh, he's some lab scientist or whatever. This is a joke. You got David Cameron out there, like he's now some kind of a lorry driver. What what is it with these people? Sajid Javid was doing the same thing with a hard hat the other day. It was ridiculous. Why do they do well, this? I, I can explain it, it very succinctly. Um, but first of all, I've actually had to paint grass green. What? At a military base, because we were expecting a royal visit, and it had been particularly sunny and dry. Okay. Um, patches right, of the of grass outside the main gate in the guardhouse were a bit brown and scorched, so they had to be painted green, so the whole place looked nice for Her Majesty when she arrived. I mean, that poor lady thinks the whole world smells of fresh paint. Because everywhere she goes, it's someone's fresh painting paint something. <laughs> but... There's two types of people in the world. Ones who don't think they're good enough and ones who don't think they're loved enough. And these guys know that they're not loved enough because they've got an overinflated idea of how good they are. So that's what all this publicity is about. It's to make voters love them. Oh, look at Boris. He's rolled his sleeves up and he's in amongst it. And oh, look at David Cameron. He's driving all the way to Poland in a and perfectly safe it. vehicle. People buy it. Yeah, of course they buy it because they've been dumbed down over the, the past few decades to the point where the average person on the... Do you know, I think um, before literacy was a, a probably... I think now in the UK, literacy is at about 92%. That's pretty There's good. There's still quite a lot of people. Yeah, but even when it was nowhere near that, I think people were smarter because that they they had to use their common sense to survive they couldn't they couldn't just read the instructions they had to be told how to do something or watch someone do something so that they could emulate it and do it themselves and i think people were smarter before we could all read I was once telling we bruce, all start I was yeah, telling, sorry sorry just on that point real quick i was telling bruce just the other day i said i've gone back and i've i've read English papers, you know, English newspapers and early uh, American colony newspapers from late 1700s. And I almost can't read them yeah. just because of the level of intelligence that they would work at back then. It was completely different to what we know now. Well, obviously, working in print, you have to write 
what you're printing at a level that your reader will understand. In the UK, we have things called reading ages, and they're based on primary school to senior school levels. The highest it goes up to, I think, is a reading age of 13. So by the time you're 13, you've kind of reached the the height of your uh, ability to read if you've done well. Doesn't mean that your vocabulary has stopped developing. That continues to develop. But the ability at which you read, I think, stops at 13. But I stand to be corrected. But do you know the Sun newspaper? Do you know what level that is written for? I think you told me once. I think you said that it was about a 10-year-old. Seven. Seven. Okay, it's seven. A, it's for a seven-year-old to read. But also, back That's in funny. the day... We, we were talking the, about a Sun uh, paper uh, article yesterday. Yeah. But, you know, it has to be in very simple language. Um, and it was. It was. I think Churchill, when he wrote his speeches, he, he tried to use only about 500 different words. And there may have been a, a limit of 5,000 total but in his speeches so that he he could be understood by everybody he kept the number of different words down to 500 in each speech what i was going to say though was when you look at that old print that you were reading from what was it 1700s late 1700s late late 1700s yeah early 1800s because printing was very expensive and a slow process you had to make certain assumptions that your reader already understood certain things. Now, it's almost like pedagogy being led by the hand with with certain newspapers that tell the reader what they need to understand before they read the article. And a lot of that's done with with imagery and photographs. Uh, A picture paints a thousand words. Back in the day of the 1700s and and those kind of newspapers you were reading, there weren't too many pictures, were there? It was all text, which meant that more of the story had to be contained inside that text rather than a picture, an emotive image that that leads the reader down a certain path. I've actually got a um, one of my oldest books, one of my oldest books in my collection. It's actually one of the most difficult pieces I've ever had to come across. Uh, and I actually found it hiding in a bookstore in London. Uh, it's a book from about 100 years ago. It was published around 100 years ago. And even then, just within that time, you can certainly tell the difference as in like the the phrasing and and the way that they structured things and how they articulated themselves. It was it was completely different to what we would understand today. As in, I understand how we how we speak, but with all the slang terms and things that we have now, even the the small differences that we have in between like the US, the UK, Australia, things like that, we can still understand each other. Uh, but yeah. even back then, I mean, I, I might find it a little bit difficult to have uh, a long winded conversation with someone. Uh, it might take me a minute or two to actually try and understand what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something I learned only the other day is that Coney, the word Coney, which Americans would consider to be a rabbit is actually a what was a was a British word, um, and it, it was probably used in in the county of my birth in Norfolk instead of rabbit. It's gone out. It's fallen out of fashion now, uh, and the word rabbit is used instead. But yeah, it is funny how we are two nations divided by a common language because there are those slight differences now. So that I don't offend Bruce or anybody else with strong religious faith, as we're talking about books, I'm not going to include the Bible, the Torah, or the Quran 
in this, but just because someone's put it in a book doesn't mean it's true. You can read a book and you can have a certain idea, but unless you've got either, you know, first-hand witness account that you can verify or you've experienced it yourself, you can't be certain of anything that people have put in books because history is written by the winners, you know? So the full story in most books, unless unless you know for sure that someone's gone out of their way to dig really deeply and research properly and take all angles of a particular story, you can't be certain that what you read in any book, stand fast the, the ones I, I mentioned before, although we'll get into that in a minute. Unfortunately, we can't because we're out of time. Oh, well, there you go. That way I, I don't get to offend anybody, so it's good. But what I was going to say about monotheistic scriptures is that each individual reads those now because we, we have a higher level of literacy and makes their own mind up about it because at the end of the day, they are about a way of life that helps you and helps others. So t- to that end, I see no harm in reading the scriptures. However, other books that might formulate your opinions on one thing or another, you have to treat them with a certain amount of skepticism. And on that, my friend, it's been uh, it's been a fantastic conversation. I want to thank you for being here today. I'm assuming we're going to see you next week, yes? I believe so, yes, next Thursday. Actually, on that fr- the following Friday, um, I'm off out on a, um, a stag do for my friend who's getting married and I'm being the best man at his wedding, which is his third, by the way. I think he's addicted to wedding cake. Third time's a charm. Um, third time's a charm. We're actually getting married in a very lovely place. I won't mention where, but it is a castle and we will be wearing suits of armor. Is that the suit of armor that you had in that was brought in a while back and you, you came on and I said, is that your suit of armor? Yeah. Is, is that what it was yeah, for? It's, it's, it was for it's over in the corner bit. Yeah. Um, I've got to polish it up. But that's uh, in, in a month's time, the weekend next. So on that Thursday, I'll be on here. On the Friday, we're off up to the Midlands for a weekend of live action role play, where I'll be putting on another suit of armor, a different one, and running around the forest, beating people with foam swords. So I'm really looking forward to that as long as my legs hold up to it. In fact, I won't be doing any running at all. I was going to say, you're going to be slowly yeah, no, I'll be slowly walking towards the enemy. If they want to come near me, they can stand by. But you know, I saw the movie we, you did. What happens when the enemy comes towards you? Uh, you you shoot them. So I I don't want to I don't want to be any part. Yeah, I saw yeah, you, in that you film. don't you don't you don't want to be doing that. No, I have, shot I have a bow and arrow as well. But great shot you were in that film, by the way. I, I shot myself once. You shot yourself. Yes, <laughs> that's what's funny about it is that you shot yourself. Anyway, anyway, right, uh, we've we've gone on too long. We have. We have. We've gone over quite a bit, but that's okay uh, because we don't get you on here that often. We are on the exclusive tomorrow with Ned, uh, so be sure and check that out. So for those of you who would like to send us some feedback, we would love to hear from you. Please do so anytime by sending us an email at dynamicpodcast.protonmail.com. Also, do you know someone that you're trying to wake up? Do you know someone you're trying to point in the right direction? We would appreciate it very much if you would tell just five friends about us. That's all. That's all we ask. So I want to thank you for being here today, Marty. Thank you for being here today, Bruce. Thank you to all the listeners. Everyone have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you on Monday. If you're subscribed to us on Telegram. Have a great evening and we will see you tomorrow.